Welcome, learners and learned alike, to help teach. Hello, and welcome to the pilot episode of this community audio project. I am your host, editor, producer, and project co-lead, Mihai Kovacer. I would like to begin by offering a big thank you to Every Canadian Counts. To quote from their site, Every Canadian Counts is a coalition committed to improving services for over 20% of Canadians living with long-term chronic disabilities. End quote. As part of their hashtag Rising Youth initiative, they are offering grants to young leaders looking to make change in their community, so big thank you to them for funding this project. As mentioned, my name is Mihai Kovacer, and I am a public speaker, advocate, ambassador, musician, and politics, philosophy, and law enthusiast. I am also a youth living with a physical disability. My most formative experiences living with a disability have come in the Canadian public education system. Many students like me with physical, emotional, or mental challenges go through their years of schooling lacking the supports and accommodations they need to partake of the same opportunities offered to their peers. The vision of this project is to provide educators in Canadian classrooms, students with disabilities, and members of the general public with the tools, knowledge, and skills that they need to make our institutions more accessible and inclusive for all. Join me and a diverse cast of guests as we explore perspectives on disabilities in education in this podcast series. One last message for you teachers tuning in. Listen in each episode for our key takeaway that you can implement in your classroom today to help us further this vision. Without further ado, I'd love to introduce our first guest and one of my other co-leads on this project, Peyton Given. Hello, Peyton. Nice to have you here today. Hi, my name is Peyton and I am in grade eight. I have um, dystonia, spastic cerebral palsy, and it affects all four of my limbs. I live in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Thank you for that introduction, Peyton. It's great to have you here today. So I'd just love to start then and have uh, have a little conversation with you. You know, we share, the Peyton and I share this uh, condition called cerebral palsy. I also have it, though for me it only affects my legs. And uh, so it's a less severe um, case, if you will, of the same condition. And um, well, I'd love to start this conversation with you on, because I know that we share a lot of similar experiences through education, a lot of our formative experiences, positive and negative, have been in education. So why don't you just start and tell me a little bit about your experience? Um, how's it been in the public education system as a student with a disability? Well, it's definitely been difficult to get my needs across to staff. They tend not to be open to new opportunities. And even if I need different adaptations that are written down sometimes my needs are not met mm -hmm. and uh so you say that even if you have your needs you know written down officially sort of um compiled for you and for educators to to read and to implement they still won't do it for you not well some of the time they do but not a lot, no. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
that must be difficult, you know, to to feel as if you have the support of a um of of the system and of a properly, you know, formally written down uh, um system of accommodations and and not to be able to have that support, right? Yes, it is very hard to get my needs and for me to feel, for them to not validate my emotions and needs is very hard. And I find it's like that for almost everybody living with a disability, um, physical or not, getting their needs across is difficult. Yeah. Yeah, you, you brought up that really key sort of word for us, which is validation, you know, it, uh, I, I know exactly what you mean in that it's, it can be difficult as a student with a disability to feel like you have the same position as your peers sometimes in the classroom, isn't it? It's like, you're not always recognized for who you are when your disability comes first. Yes, it's very difficult to have, have people recognize because of me in my wheelchair than of me personally. I like when people use people first language and not say, oh, your wheelchair is poor. Oh, what kind of disability do you have? And they don't even say hi first. Like... I think that's definitely difficult. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm sure we'll come back uh, around to that subject of uh, of language uh, in this episode. But, uh, you know, what, what you just mentioned about uh, being in a wheelchair, um, I'd love to, to begin and talk a little bit about that for our guests who maybe don't know what cerebral palsy is, what it's like to live with a physical disability. Um, maybe we can talk about that for a little bit. Do you mind if I introduce for our audience before I turn it back to you? You can totally do that. Yeah, so for our guests uh, listening, regardless of who you are, if you haven't heard before, so cerebral palsy is a physical disability that comes in many different forms or cases and affects people in different ways. Cerebral, uh, meaning it comes from the brain or from a trauma to the brain, and palsy means literally a weakness or some problem with your muscles. So there's a few different kinds of cerebral palsy, but without getting into too much jargon, um, Peyton and I both uh, share what's called spastic cerebral palsy, meaning that some muscles in our body are basically wound or strung tighter than uh, than they should be, which makes it difficult to use those muscles and we compensate in different ways. So, um, Peyton, why don't you talk a little bit about your specific case and if you would uh, reiterate the name for us. Okay. I am, well, I have a more severe case than me, hi. I am in, I'm a manual wheelchair user, mostly. And I use a powered wheelchair when I am physically not able to push myself around. Um, I have spastic, which means tightness of the muscles, like Mihai mentioned. Um, I have also, I have more of a rare um, diagnosis called dystonia that, that, increases muscle spasms in my back and in my legs 
Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for that. That was that was really clear. Uh, yeah, as as uh, mentioned, for me, it's a little bit less severe. I have what's called spastic diplegia, which is something uh, diplegia meaning that it affects two uh, limbs, which are my legs. So it's it's hard to know where conditions like this come from, but um, it's likely some kind of uh, brain trauma uh, before birth that caused those muscles to, to be strong that way. And so for me, I don't use a wheelchair. I can walk independently, though for a number of years I used a walker and then I used canes to help me get around. Now I don't, uh, I don't use any aids, but... Um, as you can see, they're already from the exact same condition. You can have quite a wide variety of um, severity and therefore a wide variety of needs. So why, why don't we talk about those needs for a little bit, Peyton? Um, what, what kind of things do you face issue with in, in school in terms of obstacles to, to your accessibility? Well, physical obstacles are like opening doors sidewalk not being paved properly, that's a huge issue. And in the winter, my school lacks on plowing and salting. The elevator breaks down quite well. It's broken down four or five times this year so far. Wow. Um, equipments and classrooms not being accessible. Um, things like I can't really use my hands properly like everybody else can. So I need help with writing. And sometimes I don't have somebody like an EA or an EPA sitting there helping me because of the shortage that they have. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's quite the, the list already. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I have uh, some similar concerns to yours, especially talking about wintertime, right? I know you live out in, uh, out east in, in Nova Scotia. Um, I live in, uh, on the opposite side of the country in uh, British Columbia. And so we get, you know, quite uh, heavy winters around here sometimes. And even for someone like me who, you know, is able to walk around independently, I mean, even for people who don't have a disability, the fact that sidewalks aren't salted or, or paved, right? It's It can be really difficult. People slip and fall all the time. I, I see them coming into school and it just makes it all the more dangerous for uh, when you add this sort of physical obstacle to it. But um, no, you're you're right. There's, there's a lot of things that people maybe don't consider, right? When it comes to our obstacles that we face. Yes. Mm. Um... You know, I, a funny story that I like to tell is uh, the idea of using washrooms, right? The fact that if people are misusing a washroom at, at break time in a large high school with two stories, right, big school, if someone's misusing the bottom floor washroom, uh, I have to, you know, other students might just be annoyed and walk to the other side of the school, but that's not something that we can really do as easily, right? So it's, you know, little things like that that people don't think about can be quite difficult sometimes. Yes, I I agree with you because at my school there is only one bathroom that is big enough for me to actually properly use safely and a lot of kids misuse that and go in there to do not so great things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
you know, and, and this is uh, always a difficulty in, in the public education system because, you know, a lot of these are not up to the teachers, right? And we're not talking to teachers saying, plow your school and, you know, salt the sidewalks and fix your elevators. That's not the teacher's job. But, um, you know, so it can be difficult to sort of get across to the people that are actually responsible for these things because it's, you know, institutional to sort of get them to fix it, right? Yes. Hmm. But, uh, you know, I there are things that, uh, as we'll get to in our second half, there are things that, that teachers can do, and we'll we'll make sure to highlight that. You know, uh, to, to move forward here, I heard that you have a, we were talking before, and I heard that you have a motto that you like to use and, and to uphold in your life. Is that right? Something, yes. words to live by? I, well, I learned in life that this motto doesn't normally happen, but I like to live by any way, treating everybody equally. It's not, it's not uphold in schools very much because in a case where a child or student may need adaptions, sometimes they are not supplied or supported, and the student is, and the student is miss, missing their adaptions and. It just makes it harder on the students. Students are often left to do extra work on their own time just to be included in the classroom environment, which really should not be as, should not be a thing because it's not like it's homework. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. just because students' adaptions are not being made in schools. Yeah. Yeah, no, you, you have a, a good point there. It's that, you know, when we... It, it's not that teachers or staff are solely responsible for giving us everything that we need in every scenario. Like, there's such a wide variety, you know, it's difficult to do. But when it's all put on us, it just becomes, as you say, it becomes extra work, right? And it becomes yeah. difficult to, to bring that home and, and, you know, fix all of that for ourselves in the school setting. And not everyone has the opportunity to do that or the capability, yeah, and that has a difficult, it's like a snowball effect. Mm. If one day they don't have a person to help a student that has a disability, and then another day, the, the work starts snowballing. Mm -hmm. And it's like a snowball effect. And it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And then you can't do all the work that they're asking you to do because your adaptions are not made. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's a really good way of putting that, and you know, and, and and people, if you fall behind like that, it can be difficult to catch up again, right? Yes. Do you have any personal examples of this kind of homework you quote unquote um, that you've been having to do? Um, I have had to do it pretty much all of my schooling since grade three, but um, I do a lot of. English homework at home because I cannot write a three or four page essay, which is not a lot to those who can write easily. But I have issues with my hands, like I said before. Mm -hmm. And I find writing one page takes about an hour and a half to two hours. Mm. As a 
aka normal person, probably it would take 30 minutes to 15 minutes, maybe. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. No, that, that's a that, that's a good example, and that just goes to show, right, that it's um, there can there can be really real issues like that. I, I am lucky enough, like I said, to not have this affect my academic performance so much um, because it's a it's a strictly sort of mobility based issue but you know even things like going on walking field trips when they're scheduled and there's like a homework assignment attached to that and they don't tell me in advance right like well, what am I supposed to do <laughs> you know when they're going on a half hour walk uh, one way or, or both ways to to go and do something in town like that that's just not feasible right for for someone like me all the time so Yes, I understand your point because physical and emotional needs don't often get met in the public school system. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so what have you been doing so far uh, in your life? You know, a bit of a shameless plug here. You can feel free. Uh, what have you been doing to, to uphold that motto and to help to help out? I have talked to my classmates and teachers about what needs need to exist. I have may I have gotten a person from the Rick Hansen Foundation, Casey Perrin, to do a Valedictorian speech to my school. I have accomplished wheelchair racing to improve and show that people with disabilities can do sports. I've made a video to teach people about disabilities and cerebral palsy, specifically when I was in elementary. And I have, and, and I answer any questions anybody asks me, and I'm very open because if people don't know, people assume. And mm. that's the real issue is people assume things because they don't know, because they don't have the option to know. And that's a lot of the issues that I face as a person with a physical disability, mm. in my opinion. And that's a great segue. Don't go anywhere, audience members. We're going to take just a short break here. And then when we come back, we're going to be talking about exactly that, what it's like to have a peer support network, what it means for people to use language properly, and stick around for the key takeaway for you teachers out there that you can implement in the classroom today to make it more accessible. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Hey Teach. My name is Miha Kovasar, I'm your host, and I have here with me Peyton Given, talking about disabilities in the classroom and the perspective of students with disabilities in public education here in Canada. So Peyton, before we left, uh, you mentioned something about language, language and assumptions. And uh, that's something that you brought up earlier in our in our last half. And I'd love to get on that subject with you. So, um, you know, why, why don't you talk a little bit about what you think, whether or not students like us have enough support in the classroom uh, when it comes to sharing our stories when it comes to being asked the right questions and and you know really having people understand us before they try and do anything for or with us do you think we get enough support there um no definitely not i find 
staff don't talk to students about disabilities enough or give them time to ask questions. It's a very big issue in my school and I find we teach younger the younger generation of students that are in elementary, I think it would make it a more it would make it better for people in their older years to know what to do when they encounter someone with a disability because it's going to happen one way or another in schools or out of schools anywhere in life you're going to encounter someone with a disability and it's not it's not supposed to be scary we're just like you we might just have one or two things different that we might have to adapt yeah no you know i think that's a that's a really great way of putting it the fact that it's it's it can be scary or uncomfortable right for kids that have never encountered this kind of uh, difference you know before it can be difficult to grow up with people without disabilities and all of a sudden uh, face that you know and 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 that's i mean that's totally normal and natural but like you say um knowing how to approach us as people with differences really as opposed to people that are somehow you know incapable or people that are threatening or you know just to approach us as other people with, with our own differences is really important so why don't you why don't you uh tell me a little bit more what do you think students and and staff should be asking us how should they be approaching us you know what what's appropriate to you because i know there's a lot of debate even in the disability community about what's what, what's more comfortable and what's not and it changes from person to person but Personally, for you, what, what does that look like? In my opinion or in my scenario, I have an, a couple examples that I would like to share. Instead of saying, are your legs broken? Say, why are you in a wheelchair? Or <laughs> say, why do you, or say, why are you allowed to get extra help in time or attention um something more like because people say to me all the time you're crippled or sorry you're crippled or something like that and that's not appropriate and she and i've heard a lot of kids say Peyton's crippled she needs help writing or Peyton's retarded or she needs to go to a spec ed class. And those things are not even a, a thing in public school systems anymore. <laughs> a spec ed class, I think, was eliminated in like the ni- 1990s, I think. <laughs> yeah, for, for those audience members that don't know, uh, spec ed means uh, special education, right? So we're talking... As you say, uh, it, it, it's been it's gotten much better. But before, there was often a lot of segregation in the school system for people yes. with disabilities. They were put in their own special classrooms, and you know exactly terms like these that are outdated and and frankly, you know, quite offensive. Students are just they they learn them without learning what they mean, right, or without learning the impact that they could have. So that's uh, yeah. 
<laughs> are your legs broken that's a that's a common one for for me too i remember back in yeah. elementary school early middle school you know why 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 are your legs broken why why do you walk like that like you know so it's uh it, it can be interesting to talk to people about the fact that nothing's broken it's just you know or or even if if you want to think of it as you know something is is wrong that doesn't mean that you know we can't push past it and do what we want to do right yes in my i like to also say my cerebral palsy or my disability doesn't define me it doesn't make me incapable it doesn't it doesn't like it doesn't unstop my reasoning to learn and to appreciate the factors of what uh able-bodied person would think was fun like going to movies or going to an escape room accessibility defines me but my disability doesn't that's a really good way of putting that that's a what, what a wonderful way to phrase that accessibility or or adaptability defines us not not our disability that's that's awesome i'm, I'm going to use that from now on actually so, you know, how does it help you? Like, how, how do you feel when students and staff respectfully engage you and, and, and ask you how they can support you? Because we talked a lot about emotional needs that, and, and, and that are paired with our physical needs because, you know, we have emotional needs just like everyone else. So how, how does that make you feel? How does that help you? Um, it helps me because it makes... when people respect what I need and when people respect not to use retarded and crippled and other words that underline that and say, oh, she's just disabled or oh, she's in a wheelchair. That's way better and that improves my mental health and my physical health because I feel like I'm included and that is a big issue that a lot of disabled people or people that have disabilities find is because a lot of times it's a lot of segregation and a lot of this negativity around disabilities and it's not it's not always negative there's a lot of positivity in having a disability it makes you more resilient and it makes you have confidence even when you don't want to and it helps you have a more it helps you have a better understanding on a deeper level what what other people have to deal with in their day-to-day life that's my opinion Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah you know our our uh a vision for a lot of uh, people in in the disability community, I think, is to break down those those prejudices and those biases um, regarding what it's like to live with a disability. And I think that the the more we can spread the word, as this project is in is meant to do, you know, the more we can do that and and spread inclusion. I think we're uh, moving sort of towards the end of our time here, but I'd love to turn it finally to. What teachers can take away from this episode and implement right now in their classrooms? So, you know, what can teachers do to uh, learn, knowing all of this about 
what language is appropriate or, you know, how do people have different opinions on what language is appropriate, how different people have different needs. It can be difficult for teachers to know how to how to help and how to approach them. So what what do you think? What can teachers do to help in the classroom? Teachers, well, they can have a short conversation with uh, with the student that might have a disability if the beginning of the year to um, take to their needs and see what they prefer and then maybe have a short lesson with the class to share knowledge about disabilities and answer any questions that come up ahead to show the other student that it's not scary, that dis disabilities aren't scary, that the person that's in the classroom might be in a wheelchair or might be blind or might have to use crutches or something or might have a guide dog or have a service dog. There's still a person inside their disability and their disability is only a part of them. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. You heard that, all you educators out there. Really, it just takes 15 minutes to sit down with each of your students in the classroom that have a disability, even if you've been given their IEP or if you've been told by administration what they theoretically need. Just sit down and have a conversation with them. 15 minutes is all it takes. Ask them what is it that they need from you as a teacher? What is it that, how is it that they should be addressed or, or you know, how comfortable are they being approached with questions, all that kind of thing, just as you would with any other student that you care about teaching. And then you can, if you would are willing to spend another, again, 15 minutes is all it takes to do, just tell talk to the class a little bit about it, the importance of inclusion and accessibility in the classroom it'll really save you a year's worth of headaches in terms of just, just thinking ahead and, and making sure that the classroom is as accessible a place as possible for all those students there. Well, th I thank you very much for your time, Peyton. It was a wonderful conversation. I think you really brought some great insight into it. And, um, well, I look forward to talking to you again. Thank you, Mia. I really appreciate it. This has been the pilot episode of our Community Audio Project, help teach. I'd like to give a huge thank you to the other co-leads on this project, Peyton Given, who was also our first guest, Alexis Holmgren, Elise Doucette, and Maggie Manning, all youth leaders at the Rick Hansen Foundation, who I'd also like to thank for their continued support in this initiative and others. Another big thank you to Every Canadian Counts and their hashtag Rising Youth Initiative for funding this project and for helping to make this vision a reality. I'd like to give a huge shout out to our community mentor for this project, Charles Kutzea, and to our professional contact helping in the editing process for both scripts and audio, Chester Hall. My name is Mihai Kovasser. I'm your producer, editor, and host for this podcast series, and you can look forward to finding us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts in the next while. In the next episodes, you can look forward to more great conversations with other youth leaders, educators, and members of the general public, and more key takeaways that you educators can implement in the classroom today to make it a more accessible and inclusive place for all. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll see you next time.